Welcome to Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Kim Farina, a veterinarian, a writer. I've worked in the animal health industry. And prior to that, I was an MTV journalist and a radio personality. So yes, my career has taken me in lots of different directions. In each episode of Scrub Chat, I sit down and chat with a veterinarian or technician as they share their own directions, what's worked, what hasn't, and how they've made it all fit. Thank you for joining me as we explore veterinary medicine combined with all the other aspects of our lives. Zoetis has generously created these podcasts to help support the profession we love. Today, we get to chat with Deborah Reeder, a registered veterinary technician who has a specialty in equine veterinary nursing. She is founder and currently executive director of the American Association of Equine Veterinary Technicians. Welcome to the show, Deborah. Oh, thank you so much. I feel very honored to be here. Well, we're glad to have you, especially from Texas. I hope it wasn't too early to get up. Absolutely not. I have to get up early to beat the heat. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. Excellent. Well, I'd like to start off in your college years um, because you did your undergraduate work at University of Colorado and then finished up and got your bachelor's degree at San Diego State University. I have to ask, what did you major in? Um, English and uh, journalism and then uh, art history was my minor. I can tell this is going to be a cool story all the way through the show because you became a flight attendant for Continental Airlines for 10 years. So how did you decide to pursue that path? I love to travel. My family had always traveled. My mom used to just take off and go down to South America and Africa. And so that bug was in me. And a couple of my friends started working for Continental and said, Deb, you would be an awesome flight attendant. You need to come and check this out and apply. So um, I did. And there you have it. It was great training at 35,000 feet. You learn how to deal with it because you can't shut the door or throw them out. (laughs) Now, interestingly, because after the airlines went through deregulation, you married a pilot. And I and I'm picturing this like, did you lock eyes across the cabin and and fall in love? But then I'm thinking, wait, he should be piloting the plane. I hope he's not locking eyes with you, right? Like, scratch that. Like, so how did you meet? (laughs) Uh, We were on the same trip together and I was commuting. And so I'd had to come in the night before and I'd slept on the flight attendant, you know, lounge couch or something. So I showed up and I wasn't all perfectly ironed. And he uh, made that comment. And so I got flippant and said, well, great. I'll just come to your place and iron my clothes. And so... (laughs) There you have it. (laughs) And how long have you been married? We've been married 35 years. Oh, that's so awesome. I love hearing that. A lot of people lost a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. So after your flight attendant career, you went back to school to obtain a degree from Cedar Valley College in veterinary technology. And I'm curious, what attracted you to becoming a veterinary technician? It was a career I was very familiar with because being raised on a working cattle ranch, I used to watch the vet come out and pull calves and, you know, treat some of the work horses. But he'd always told me, I, you know, fe- veterinarians are not females. You, you can't enter that career. And then in talking with my friends down in Texas, they told me all about this, you know, a career being a veterinary technician, which, 
you know, I found intriguing. And so I looked into it and, um, you know, just fell in love with it. I had no idea that it was actually a profession that I could follow as a career. And, you know, of course, that was in 1983, I guess. When the veterinarian had said, you know, females can't be veterinarians, do you regret not pursuing the veterinarian career path? Or are you happy with the way it went? No, I'm I'm happy with the way it went. I think that was the right choice for me. I mm-hmm. certainly could have pursued, you know, being a veterinarian, but my skill set and who I am um, was more of a caretaker. I loved ICU. I loved anesthesia. You know, the whole thing of being a surgeon, I like assisting, but I didn't need to be one. And I think at that age, too, I was like, I would rather be the support system versus, you know, at the front. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you had a particular skill set, being a caregiver and, and, you know, being that supportive part of the process. Are there any other skill sets that you have learned over the years or felt that you have that has made your career particularly good in the sense of skills that you have? For me, I think it is being able to anticipate. I think that is the strongest skill set of a veterinary technician can have is anticipating not only, you know, what could go wrong during the day, but having everything ready in case and anticipating your veterinarian or the situation or the procedure and just being ready, having everything ready. Um, and we learn by our mistakes, the times, you know, we weren't ready. We next time we know to have that there. (laughs) Um, and I think, um, You know, being a team player uh, was a a big part of my success as well. And then communication skills. Looking back on being a flight attendant, you know, everybody thought that was such a fluff career. Um, However, that trained me to learn how to deal with situations. And that's a skill set I definitely, you know, carried forward. Yeah. Absolutely. I completely see the benefit of having that experience going into veterinary technician, the line of work that you did. You know, talking about working on a cattle ranch in the San Joaquin Valley in California when you were growing up and, you know, riding horses your whole life, you've had all this organic experience. And then you go to vet tech school and you're, you know, you're being taught procedures and medicine and so forth. And I was wondering, how did you stop yourself from saying like, that's not how you do it. Here's the real way. Because you have all this real life experience and you already know so much. At times in, in vet tech school, you're like, wait, no, okay, that sounds fine, but this is really how you do it. Oh, I said that often. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's okay. <laughs> um, part of the challenge with the the vet tech programs in general is there's very little equine. And a lot of times the instructors for the equine portion or large animal are either pulled over from small animal or it's not their background or their love. So in vet tech school, my expertise was kind of looked at at times and I was able to share that. And you also have to realize you're, you know, you have to kind of go in with your eyes wide open and your mind open that, okay, there might be um, something to learn here or to um, understand. But no, I I did often 
Cheryl, that's not how you do that. <laughs> that's great because I feel like even some of the people I went to vet school with had very similar experiences. And it's kind of like, here's how you really do it versus the academic world. And I, I just want to kind of keep going with this for a minute because how, how are you not conflicted? It sounds like you just stayed with an open mind, but is there more to it? I obviously was somewhat conflicted because I then, a couple of years later, I went back and became an instructor at that same school. Right. Just because I went, well, they need to know more about how this really works. And, you know, after being in practice for a little bit, I was able to go, well, why are they teaching to give penicillin in the muscle, you know, five times a day when... We can use SMZ tablets. Right, you know, right. In the real world. You know, I went, well, I guess I better put my money where my mouth is and go back and instruct, mm-hmm. which I loved doing anyway. I absolutely loved it. When you were in practice as a technician, I had read that you loved doing rehab with horses, equine anesthesia, and working the ICU with foals. Please tell me, did you learn the hard way? not to stand between a mare and a foal. Now, the reason I ask you this is because there was another Deb in a previous episode, one of my guests, who didn't know this very important fact of equine life, and she got drop-kicked by a mare and flew across the stall, and she had, she said she had horseshoe bruises on her back for a very long time, but she did learn her lesson. What lessons have you learned? Oh, my. So many. <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> Okay, so one, and just perfect, you know, you come out of vet tech school and you think you're a rock star and you know it all. And so I was working in this clinic in uh, Las Colinas. It was um, a referral. So they brought in this very well-known surgeon from California and he was doing arthroscopic surgery. Well, of course, in vet tech school, we didn't deal with arthroscopic equipment. So I was just being the eager beaver and was going to autoclave everything and get it all ready for him. I autoclaved his arthroscopic camera. Oh, No. So, wait, you feel, wait, what? You did that? Yeah, I did. <laughs> oh. And I think another lesson I learned was it's life and death. Uh, I remember staying up with a foal all night who was an orphan all night long. And about four o'clock in the morning, I was going, oh, he's going to make it. He's going to make it. And I called, you know, the veterinarian to check in and he goes, well, I'll be in there in an hour. You've done great. You know, just hang in there. Well, about 15 minutes before he shut up the full pass. And I was just devastated. It was like, what could I have done different? You know, and it's, we deal with life and death. And is that frustrating? I think in my world, I have felt that way many times that you can't always fix it. Despite all the best efforts, you can't fix it. I it's tough. Yeah. It's very frustrating. And, you know, that also gives you the opportunity to give your all because you never know when you might be able to fix it. You might be able to, you know, make a difference um, in the foal's life or the horse's life or, you know, the client's life. You just have to keep your head above water and and know you're doing the best you can. And we all, you know, there's times I've made mistakes. For a new technician, new veterinarian, what would you recommend so they can succeed and not only keep their head above water, but, but thrive? Finding a mentor to, you know, bounce things off of. And by mentor, that can be 
you know, someone you work with or, you know, your veterinarian or, um, you know, an instructor from your school that you might have created a relationship with, whoever that is, or, or a, a lecturer, you know, when you go to a program, you know, go up and talk to them afterwards. I think it's finding someone that you can um, run things by. I'm feeling frustrated or gosh, you know, I wish I could develop this. As you can tell by my quote unquote colorful career, I refused to be stuck. Um, I just, that was not in my DNA makeup. (laughs) If I felt stuck and, you know, some other opportunity came up, I I went for it, you know, and people would tell me, well, Debbie, it kind of looks like, you know, you didn't stay with one career for 20 years or one clinic for, you know, 20 years. And I went, well, no, because the clinic changes, I change, my goals and skills and passions change. And I went where I could learn more and be more and, you know, bring that back and contribute more. So along what you're just talking about, give us an idea of how you kept finding these interesting kind of off the beaten path opportunities. Because a lot of times, you know, at least when you graduate from veterinary school, you think, oh, I go into practice. That's all I do without even knowing what else is out there. So how did you know that these even existed, these opportunities? You know, it's having lots of resources and a network. I was involved very much in the Texas Association and all of that. So I I built a network fairly quickly. So I think just having that radar for, you know, not, okay, this is my practice. I'm going to stay here forever. I, I didn't go in with that mindset. Mm-hmm. I went in with, you know, there's other opportunities out there and I'm going to try that. And mm-hmm. That helped. And what about a willingness to put yourself out there and make mistakes too? Absolutely. A willingness to experience. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever that is, the good, the bad, the frustrating, the heartbreaking, the joy, a willingness to be able to experience what it takes to be in this profession, because mm-hmm. it it takes a lot. It does. It takes a lot. It does. Absolutely. You founded the American Association of Equine Veterinary Technicians in 2003, and I will say not many people decide to be a founder of a national organization, you know? <laughs> So what was the impetus to do that? I just got so tired of listening to Hills food products at lunchtime, you know, I just, what? And there was no avenue for equine continuing education or, you know, honing a skill set. And so a group of us put on a meeting in Texas and the practitioners, you know, got involved and sent their techs and assistants. And we had some sponsors that kind of got involved. And so, you know, we all sat around and said, well, this seems like something we need to, you know, kind of take on the road was actually our plan. Mm -hmm. And so I went to the AEP and talked with them and they liked the idea. And it was just, okay, you know, again, well, let's just do this. Let's do it. And I think for me, I knew in my heart it was the absolute right time and the right thing to do for our profession, for those of us who were working in the equine world, and for the veterinarians. I I knew I was not going to be deterred from it. 
I mean, I'm, I'm still not deterred from it <laughs> 15 years later. Yeah. Well, so. I, I'm getting this sense. See, I'm watching you, Deb, and you're just so full of life. And I'm like, this woman does ne- like never gets deterred. Like with anything, it just sounds like you, like you, when you want to do something, you're doing it. Well, and again, I think it's like with anything, when you latch on to something that you know is right and it fulfills a need, it was, it's, the AVT has fulfilled, I feel, a huge need, not only for our members, but for the veterinarians and the equine um, profession. And it was visible in how quickly sponsors and AEP got on board with it and, you know, supported it. And of course, you know, members, I mean, we had 250 at that very first meeting in Denver in 2004, you know, now... 2019 and we have right around a thousand. Oh my gosh. See, there's the proof. You've become very involved as we were just talking about in the overall veterinary technician profession in Texas. And you work to get the RVT acknowledged in the Texas Practice Act. Why was that important to you? Because I'd gone on and gotten a career in something that I was passionate about. And it was a professional title in many states. And in Texas, we were referred to as lay people. So we were grouped in with anybody and any, you know, everybody who worked on a horse. You know, it could be a horse trainer. It could be a myriad of people. So there was no distinction So I think it was more, you know, making people aware that this is truly a profession, you know, showing them what we've learned and what our value is and how we do contribute to the veterinary team. Along this amazing career and just what you were talking about, your dedication to the profession, you have done many things. And at one point you were hired as an area manager with National Pet Care and you oversaw a bunch of hospitals across the U.S., there's so many challenges that techs face with their salary levels in practice. So I'm curious, too, if if that played a role in you expanding outside of practice. The pay, yes, was a piece of it. One of the challenges in the equine profession for veterinary technicians is the areas that I fell in love with, anesthesia and ICU care, get turned over to interns. Ah, We don't get to participate or contribute at a level that oftentimes fulfills us. So yes, going on with National Pet Care was a challenge. That was one thing that intrigued me. I also felt I had a way to contribute, to bring back to equine practices because small animal practices had all the tools. They had the the management systems. um, They had the support systems. And equine just did not. So I also saw this as an avenue to go and learn um, and potentially bring those skill sets back to equine practices. I was lucky because, you know, I was married, so I did have another income. But I really feel for these technicians and assistants who try so hard to make this profession work for them and they're, you know, carrying two jobs and not being with their families, not creating any life balance for themselves and scrambling to get every overtime hour they can. And it's, it's just, it's incredibly frustrating. And I, I think we need to own it more as our profession. We need to educate 
the veterinarian and the, the veterinary profession, and in my case, the equine profession. And then we need to educate the public on um, who we are, why we're here, why we chose this profession, what are the differences. Um, that needs to be what we do first. Because again, everybody is, you, you assume people know. You know, I came out of vet tech school assuming every veterinarian knew exactly what I went through and what I could contribute and what I did. Well, they didn't have a clue. To this day, I would say 80% of the equine veterinarians have no clue. (laughs) (laughs) What's the answer, wise Deb? What is the answer? And I feel like the answer to solving this, as you were saying, is is education and owning it. Is it also paying veterinary techs more? Or does that come as a result of the education? It comes as a result of the education because we're not being paid more. We still have to fight for every dollar. You know, our challenge, especially in the equine world, is veterinarians trust someone who has horsemanship skills and a good demeanor to come into their practice and then they can train them to do what they need them to do. They don't trust the vet techs who become credentialed or graduated from AVMA accredited programs because they're not being taught any equine. They're not being taught what they need to know to contribute in an equine practice. And so for our realm, you know, they're not going to pay us more. They don't, they don't see the value. I mean, even being an Academy uh, credentialed technician, you know, we don't, I, you're very lucky if you get paid more just because you're, you know, mm-hmm. a VTS. Well, I deserve more pay because I'm credentialed. Well, no, you know, you deserve more pay because you are contributing more to my practice and helping me create a better bottom line so that I can pay you more. And again, in the equine world, we are up against interns who come out of school and are an intern for a year and are willing to work for nothing much. Yeah, yeah. not much. But what a vet tech can work for and they can do more legally than we can or that the veterinarian trusts that we can. And a lot of it is our fault because we put up with being treated that way. We put up with being paid that way. We put up with because we love what we do and we're willing to sacrifice, quote unquote. However, you know, there comes a time when the sacrifice outweighs your passion. And that's what happened for me that day. I just put my keys on the table and said, I got to walk, guys. This just isn't serving me and it's not going to serve you anymore either. Um. And they were flabbergasted that I did that. <laughs> you had to. I had to. Yeah. Because I had to show them, no, you're not going to treat me this way. I, I am worth so much more. And a month later, of course, they called me back and said, we're starting up this new practice. We want you to run it. We need somebody who you know, knows how to run Coggins and knows how to deal with veterinarians, blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, let me think about it. So... Called him back, uh, you know, I don't know, a week later and said, you'll pay me overtime. You know, I want 20 plus an hour and I want to review in six months and I want a percentage of profit. I mean, I just went for gusto. Yep. 
And I think that's one thing I, that's the biggest learning lesson for me was it was very, very difficult to do, but I am so glad I did it because now, yes, if I choose to be, you know, paid a certain amount or treated a certain way, that's a choice I'm making. It's not I'm settling for because that's all I'm worth. You know, we're talking about some really important points here. And I I actually want to go to your resume because you have this quote that you say, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. I feel like this really ties into what we're talking about right now. So tell me more. And that quote has always steered me and empowered me because I think so many times we do settle because we are afraid that if we do stretch our wings, we might fly. And that flying may take us to a place where it's unfamiliar. How will I handle it? What will it look like? I might leave family, husband, wife, a beautiful practice, you know, a home. I might leave some of that behind in my flying. So I feel a lot of times people stay stuck and they settle because it's comfortable. They've figured out how to deal with it. They've figured out how to manage their their day, their life, you know, what all the little pieces that go in it. And venturing out into the unknown, if you want, being an astronaut of your own life is scary. And fear, fear drives us so many times. You know, the fear of I'll never find another job as good as this one. Fear is how will I support myself if I leave this job? Um, you know, um, fear of what would people think of me, you know, cause I walked away from this incredible practice. Um, well, I don't know. Fear drives us so many times. And that's why that quote just rings home to me because it's the fear of who we have the potential of being and who we actually really are. If we just, you know, allow it. Yeah. And you're living proof of this because I don't know if you noticed about a few minutes ago when you were talking about national pet care, you you introduced that job as you said it was a challenge and I was intrigued by it. There's so many ways to view it. And your words were positive. I love that. I absolutely love that. And I know you've been a speaker at a variety of national and state conferences on all sorts of topics. We were just talking about professional development. And you've also talked about goal and vision setting. I was curious, is there a difference between a goal and a vision? And then my second question is like, (laughs) why bother to have one in the first place? If you will, the ABT and its future is my vision. It is, it's looking out there for what is possible and goals are what help you get there. Mm -hmm. The vision is far reaching. I mean, one of my visions I tell my board all the time with the AVT is we should have, and we will have 7,000 members because 
There are 7,000 equine veterinarians that belong to the AAP, and every single one of them has a support staff assistant veterinary technician. So it's, it's um, vision for me is what's possible. It's visualizing it. I know one of the, um, I think it was in an AEP one year, I actually did a workshop on creating vision boards and showing people how they could do that. And they were just very, very intrigued. Um, many of them had no idea that that you know, existed. It's like in your mind, but here you put pictures to it and you, you know, put it up on a wall and you look at it every day. It's a way of manifesting um, that that will be. And I manifested that the AEVT would be, and it, it is. Oh, that's fantastic. Deb, you're so inspirational. I feel like I could now leave my office and go conquer the world. Well, Go get a vision, go get some, cut out some cool things out of some magazines and make that vision board this afternoon. Yeah, I love this. And I feel like there were so many interesting points to this conversation, to our chat, because everything from like, don't settle and don't get stuck and all the way to be an astronaut of your own life. Like, it's just anything is possible. And it is. And we make a choice every day to pursue that possibility, or at least look at it, or not. Don't settle for less than what you're capable of or what's possible out there. And yes, there's going to be challenges, but we see it every day, you know, not only just in our profession, but around the world, people who, you know, could have stayed stuck, handicapped, challenged in a hole and make a decision, no, I'm more than that. Oh, Deb, I am... Uh, I feel this is this has been wonderful. And unfortunately, we have to wrap up because we're out of time. But it has been a delight having you on the show. Thank you so much. That means so, so much, Kim. Really. This concludes another episode of Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. Please remember to visit VetVance at www.vetvance.com and check out Zoetta's Commitment to Veterinarians on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to get more information about life issues such as handling student debt, reducing stress, communication skills, and reputation management. VetVance is also available as a mobile app on both Apple and Android devices. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email at scrubchat at zoetis.com. We would love to hear from you. And please don't forget to share and review this podcast so we can produce more in the future. We are grateful to Zoetis for the support. Until next time, this is Scrub Chat.